One half down, one to go. The second half of the first place Mets season begins Friday in Pittsburgh. Let's get to work. J.D. Davis returns this weekend. Carlos Carrasco is making a rehab start. The black jerseys are back at the end of the month. Can the Mets hold off and win the NL East? We'll preview the second half just ahead. We'll also take a trip to the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy and have another edition of Five with Figgy. It's all next on Amazing But True. We're back from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks, it's out of here. We got you. Ooh. Welcome back to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. We're still here. We still here for the second half of the Mets season. Can't wait to get into it. Jake Brown here alongside my co-host, former Met Emmy Award winning analyst Nelson Figueroa. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio at Figgy and why hit the voicemail box. We'll bring it back next week. I feel like I say that every week. Amazing but true pod <laughs> at gmail.com 845-391-3660. You know, you can repeat this. This is a podcast. So go back 15 seconds right now and put that number into your phone and save it and save the email. And you can just dial it up every week. No guests this show. We got a lot to get into for the second half. We will take a trip to the Academy, the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. And we'll have five with Figgy again, where I question, you know, maybe I'll go to your American career. You know, I went over to Taiwan in, <laughs> in the first edition. So maybe we'll we'll take it back to the United States here for part two. The big news that came out to start the day here uh, is the black jerseys, Figgy, are back. You have worn them the last time they were worn was 2012, July 21st, 2012. Well, July 30th, you flip the one and the two, and it's 2021, and July 30th versus the Reds, and that's the weekend, the Mets Hall of Fame induction with, I believe, Kuzman and, and Fonzie and those guys, and that's going to be that weekend against a Reds team who is surging right now, so that's going to be a fun weekend starting with the black jerseys, which you were a fan of, right? You said you loved wearing the black jerseys. Oh, I loved wearing the black jerseys. It's just a... It was a different style. It was a different time. Um, and at that point, you felt like the team was starting to get really good again, having playoff pushes or uh, getting close to that point. And I think the black jerseys were just – they're about that era, about that time where that team was almost at the cusp of putting together some good playoff runs. And <laughs> and now it gets thought about with uh, in general with those collapses of 07 and 08. But that's definitely one of my favorite jerseys. I, I, I was always very comfortable in it. Uh, it's funny because people are like, oh, it's black and it's summer. It's so hot. They're made out of these lightweight materials nowadays. It's not the old wool uniform and it's in black soaking up the sun so I does never it really make a difference like when when you're playing do you like are you looking at the jersey like i'm pumped up in this black jersey like does the apparel make a difference on your performance no i can't even i can't sit here and say i, I remember what uniform i was wearing if it was the pinstripe or the solid white or the black i just remember the, the black one to me it was actually a little lighter because they made it out of lighter materials i just thought it was a, a cool look it was a very unique look it wasn't the uh everyday look 
black. So when you had a chance to pick the jersey as a starting pitcher, I used to always try to go to the black jersey. If But we couldn't do like the black jersey two, three days in a row, which was weird because you would figure, hey, if you got a winning streak going, you stay with it. But I guess uh, everybody liked their own kind of jersey they wanted to wear. And this is where you get the only black jersey analysis in the podcast <laughs> game. You know, this is, you know, this is why Mets fans are great because we care about stupid jersey colors. Like we should be focused that we're in first place and J.D. Davis is back on Friday against the Pirates insert of the lineup and they got to get a starting pitcher no matter what. And Brian or a Donaldson would be an added bonus. And I think just having an extra bat, why not? I mean, you want to be a championship team. While they're good with J.D. back and things are good, you have to expect there's always going to be some form of injury. And also, you know, Conforto's not playing at the level that he should be playing every day. He should not be an everyday player, and especially against lefties. If you could bring Chris Bryant in there against lefties, you know, that means against lefties you could sit Dom if, if you wanted to, although he's been good. You could put J.D. in left. You could put Bryant in left. You could put Bryant in third, J.D. in left. It gives you so many more options if you do go and make that move. So if it's not going to cause you a lot and the Cubs are having a fire sale, I say I'm all for it, but definitely the starting pitcher is more important. J.D. comes back Friday as the Mets start the series against the Pirates, Figgy, and you look at this remaining schedule as we go to the second half, 75 games to go, 30 games out of the 75 are against teams over 500, 39 against teams below, and then six versus the 500 Phillies. So teams 500 or below, 45 of 75. That's good for the Mets. In a division that has been struggling, you have a majority of these games against some teams that you should be able to beat. Now, listen, they just split with the Pirates. So these aren't walk in, you know, walk in games and easy ones. But when you got the teams like the Pirates, you have the Braves a bunch without Acuna, you play the Marlins, you play the Nationals who've been struggling. I mean, a lot of winnable games on this schedule coming up here in the second half, Figgy. And, you know, the one tough stretch that I look at that won't make or break the season, but a bad stretch could make things interesting is August 13th through August 26th, Figgy. The Mets play against the Dodgers, Giants, Dodgers, and Giants. And those are World Series contenders. And that stretch, and we've seen this happen before to the Mets in August and towards the playoff push. I I don't know if I'm going to say it's going to determine the season, but if you lose, you know, 10 out of 12 of those, you get all those other teams right back in it. So that's the one stretch I look at. Outside of that stretch, you remove that stretch. This schedule should be all Mets and all winning the NL East. Yeah, that's what they're very capable to basically in in their hands. And if they can pick up the hitting just a notch, it's been so bad to be second to last and run scored to the Pirates. You figure if they can just put four runs up a game, their numbers are outstanding. Their win-loss record. What you said about the winning percentage over and under, it's night and day, right? The 31 and 25 uh, teams under 500 and 16 and 15 teams that are above 500. So at one point in the early in the season, they were crushing it on teams under 500. And they haven't been able to do that because the teams that were under 500 shouldn't have been under 500. The NLE should not have teams under 500, so many teams under 500. That's for sure. So you know that those teams are starting to wake up. So the competition is going to get better and better. We keep saying this, the reinforcements, are, you know, are still, you got still some big guys coming back. Carrasco looks like he's very, very close to coming back. J.D. Davis is coming back into the lineup. Again, you got more sock, more thump. I see the team just going to continue to get better and better and better. Jacob DeGrom, as long as he's healthy, there's no slowing him down. Taiwan Walker, all-star, 
oh god, I can't believe you get a home run to Zanino. He's batting a buck ninety. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the year of a sub two hundred hitter even making the All Star game, and he did it against his former catching mate. So obviously, he knew uh, what pitch was coming. I guess. Well, you know, that's a Zanino special right there. He's a, a big swing, all or nothing type guy, and uh, plenty of power. So. I think it was one of those situations where he wanted to, you know, try and challenge him a little bit, get some bragging rights, and he lost that battle. At least he had a chance to play in the All-Star game. He deserved it. He's pitched outstanding for a guy who they signed so late and a guy who was getting passed over by so many teams because there was always injury concerns. Taiwan Walker, always you heard the name since he was a prospect. Like, this guy has big league arm, big league stuff, and he never could put it together and stay healthy in the same season. He started to do that with Toronto uh last year and it was a shortened season so nobody gave it the same way that a shortened season got a guy 11 game Cy Young at 40 million dollars Taiwan Walker was seen, deemed a fluke like can he still do it again can he repeat it and I think he's uh making everyone eat those words and a lot of regret going around to certain teams who could have picked him up so the Mets had a, a tremendous find in him I, I would love to see them Lock him up to a just a comfortable deal. I think a lot of people with the new CBA coming out, you try to think for the player guaranteed money because you don't know what happens. Like when the pandemic hits and you still have guaranteed money coming to you, it's still guaranteed money. And he's also going to be more affordable, Figgy, than a Strowman. He's going to cost you less per year than a Strowman. Absolutely. And I think it should be less. But uh, to see what Bauer got offered from more than one team at that high of a level and giving Bauer. His name, Thou thou Shall Not Be Mentioned, Figgy, on this show. Well, I I was hoping to never have to mention it until we, you know, beat him up in the playoffs and said, aha, CC, I told you so. But that's one of the things about you look at how the market gets set by the owners. And there's no reason to think in the history of baseball that a pitcher, a starting pitcher, should get more money than a position player who plays almost every day, including Mr. Mike Trout. That doesn't make any sense. And yet there were two teams, at least, including the Mets, who kind of threw that offer out at him. I don't know where that looked, because if you put up the numbers of Stroman and Bauer, if you put up the numbers of you know Taiwan Walker in the last two years, say, um, compared to the you know, one year that Bauer had going. I mean, I don't know what the market gets set at now because now that that hit, that forty million dollar deal hit, it jumps the market up, and it really hurts a lot of the other teams because now they're they're doing comps for guys, and if you are a comparable pitcher to Trevor Bauer, and remember, four out of his six years weren't very good, weren't very good. They were just average. You know, starting pitcher. And now you look at it and he's he's bumped it up and it could, you know, hurt the Mets when they're trying to sign up some long term contracts. If you're going to give Syndergaard, if you're going to go after Stroman and keep Stroman in a Met uniform and also Taiwan Walker. Otherwise, you're looking at this team only having two starters starting out the season next year with three with Peterson. Uh, coming back, those three guys are going to be, be the top of your rotation if you if you have that with Carrasco, DeGrom, and Peterson. Well, Thursday is garbage pickup day in, the, in many New York boroughs, so we'll pick up Trevor Bauer, we'll throw him out in the garbage, throw him in the garbage uh, dumpster and, and ship his uh, dumb ass away. But, you know, the also uh, some news that happened over the break. We learned the date for the 30 for 30 1986 doc, which is going to be must-watch television. Absolutely. Um, September 14th and 15th, so a little odd timing. Once upon a time in Queens, uh, that could be the doc for my memoir as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's but, uh, that, that sounds more like your uh, cookbook that you could come out with. Yeah. <laughs> 
oh, my cookbook would consist of salmon and then everything unhealthy outside of salmon. Mm-hmm. You know, the all-star break, we saw Taiwan Walker and we saw Polar Pete. Oh, and at this point, how can you not love this guy? He's up there bobbing his head to New York rappers. Mob Deep, he said he had, mm-hmm. and he was rolling off New York rappers and he gets it. He gets what New Yorkers love. He He's trying to embrace himself as this New Yorker. And he's up there bobbing his head and then hitting 500-foot homers like, a, you know, it's a, it's a stroll from me to the chip cookies in Astoria. Like, he just makes it look so easy as Sarah McCrory shakes her head at, at cookie references because she knows <laughs> that chip is better than Levain on the oh, Upper East Side. Go. Anyone who's from New York or been to New York knows. No one's ever heard of chip. It's people, expanding, people, Sarah. People come to New York for Levain. Also, I don't live on the Upper East Side anymore. All right, let me get my mind off cookies because now I'm getting hungry. <laughs> um, but he was just crushing homers, bro. 35 in the first round. And the stat that just tells it all and what makes you realize what this means to him is that he's made $2 million from winning two derbies. He made about $1.5, $1.7 around that range million in three whole seasons. Now, this is if you don't include his signing bonus was 900000 If you don't include his signing bonus, the guy has met, made less in three seasons playing baseball. Well, two seasons in the 60-game season than he did by winning two derbies. So this is life-changing money, life-changing moments for a life-changing human being in Pete Alonzo, who we love talking to in December. Yeah, no, he's, uh, like you said, he gets it. From day one, there was something different about this guy. There was something different. He has that swagger. He has that accountability factor. Like, he sits in front of the camera, answers the questions. He's always a, he's always a good interview. What I love about him is that he realizes there's more to it than just being a ball player. You know, we've talked about all the stuff that he's done off the field, always trying to be a voice on social media before he got off of social media, just to be like, listen, you know what? I care about New York. And you don't see that a lot, you know, with with young players, especially you don't have an opportunity to that because they just are new to the league. They're new to the city. This guy from day one just hit the ground running and New York has jumped on his back. Uh, Honestly, we talked about if you were going to name a captain, you know, his name would be very high in consideration on this team. Conforto is my first choice, but I, I just think Conforto hides from the limelight a little bit too much where Pete embraces it. He looks for it and, and and shines in the brightest moments. That derby, just to put it in perspective, he had more home runs than Otani and Soto combined. And I know they got knocked out in their respective rounds, but you're still putting up 30 home runs in a round, you know, 23 home runs in a round, and you might lose. Pete is just so consistent, and especially in Coors Field. My God, a hitter's paradise. Imagine he played 81 home games there, bro. He would hit 75 home runs. I was, I was actually talking to a couple of people yesterday, and I said, imagine if he played in Yankee Stadium, like all the, the fans fanfare that they give you know Aaron Judge and you can see Aaron Judge's swing is tailored to try and hit the ball to right field right center field and just get a nice high fly ball just get it up with loft and it's going to be a home run because they're so big and strong if Pete played <laughs> you know uh, had a chance to play 81 games at Yankee Stadium it would be a joke I mean it's 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 something that he would be able to tailor his swing for. He could even cut down on his swing and just make that late solid contact and the ball will go. So he did a good job in not overswinging at Coors Field as many hitters can tend to do and and try to, you know, hit the ball 700 feet. Literally, we saw, how far was that furthest one hit? Soto hit one, 571. That's absolutely ridiculous, but that high altitude will do for you. So he made it exciting and he represented well for the New York Mets. 
And there's a lot of people who are upset about a certain pitcher who didn't represent well for the New York Mets and, you know, opted out of even going with Jacob DeGrom. Who is upset about that, though? Because he's been dealing with so many injuries. How could you even blame him at that point? Well, I mean, honestly, that every team superstar should pull out then oh well this guy shouldn't play in it this guy shouldn't bat in it Otani shouldn't do it well Otani's been you know playing on both sides of the ball that was incredible to watch by the way not just that but the him in the derby too and that comeback he made after the slow start that was one of the better derbies I've ever Look, seen I get I get it and I I understand it and as you know this is our guy we, we want to see him protected we want to bubble wrap him but I also think that you know he's gonna he was gonna have all these days off he wasn't pitching right before the all-star if you pitch right before the all-star break then you have every right to say hey i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pitch i need the days off that's fine but he didn't he pitched five days before the all-star break so it had been like a bullpen session day and so there are fans that hey the biggest brightest stage you want to see him do what he's done in the past and that's mow through the american league lineup give them a, a taste of what the national league has to deal with every time out there so I'm a little disappointed in it. I can understand the reasons for it, but if that's going to be the reason, then that all-star game is going to start to get worse and worse because you got 190 hitters. Well, it already has. What do you mean? Over the over these course of the years, and now that they've changed it, and I, I completely forgot that uh, they got rid of it because remember they used to do the commercial, this time it counts, and it, it was for home field advantage. Well, if, if you're going to take home field advantage away, you're going to interview guys as they're pitching and as they're hitting, and listen, I kind of enjoy that. I enjoyed the bullpen phone and sounded like we were on a, on a mission to NASA <sighs> reporting live. Uh, we have a reliever ready to go in the bullpen. Give him five more pitches. Like that was cool to hear that. And it was exciting experience for the fan. But if you're going to make it kind of this sideshow act where it doesn't count, you're interviewing guys as they hit, they're barely paying attention because you got Joe Buck in his earpiece. Why should Jacob DeGrom take it seriously, especially if he's not fighting for games one, two, six, and seven at City Field in October? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying take it seriously because think about even basketball. Basketball is an exhibition of no defense, a lot of shooting, a lot of dunks, a lot of high-flying stuff. There's not a lot of contact. Pro Bowl, same thing. Pro Bowl is in hard-hitting and trying to you know, win the game. It's just a, it's an exhibition to show your best players. But if the best players are going to opt out, and a whole team like the Astros opted out, kind of in protest to everything that happened with them. You know what I mean? All of their players opted out. That can't happen. That looks really terrible on the game. Yes, I'm an all-star, but I don't want to go. Well, they got to have more incentive for these guys. I don't know. I mean, I know they're, I guess they're paying them a little yeah, bit. They're, but... pay, they're paying them some money. I get it. But that you should just even want to be there as an all-star. Make a skills competition. Homer Derby's cute. Hey, you want to show off somebody's arm? Make it a skills competition. But then you go, oh, well, what if he gets hurt in the skills competition? What? So it, there's no way to win that because nobody's going to care about the All-Star game if it's uh, like the Pro Bowl. It's after the season. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to watch. So I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to fix it. I don't have uh, any answers off the top of my head. But what I do know is the stars that are elected, the stars that are chosen, they have a responsibility to the game that is paying them so well to be there so that the fans can see them, that they're on TV. So maybe you do, you're doing different things. And I like that about the All-Star Game, where they're miking up players and you're hearing them talk, you're hearing them interact with the other players on, on the team. But there's also like, it's a chance that why not make it no shifts, no shifting. Let's see what happens if we go through a whole game with no shifting. If, you know, we see a lot more hits of the old school variety, like the line drive back up the middle being a base hit. So do something like that. Do something a little bit different so that, you know, you add that different element of the game. I mean, I'm not, am I saying turn it into rock and jock? Okay, it's a five-run home run if you hit the golden ball. No. They should do something like that. Maybe one hitter at a certain point, they 
they throw three pitches, they they lob, or you give like a knuckleball pitcher for an out, do something to spice it up because they spiced up the home run derby a little bit, and it was very good. Like the matches were good. You had the couple of tiebreakers with Otani and Soto. You know, they had the, the swing-offs, like, They've added different layers to that, the added time. Some of it I can't keep track of, but there's things they've added to the Derby that work. they got to add a little bit more to the All-Star game besides the in-game interviews with the mics up as, as much as we love it to try and spice it up because it's clearly not there. You know, I questioned even watching it. I wasn't, like, super invested into watching it, um, and I don't think many people are anymore, Figgy, but Pete Alonzo was surely the highlight of uh, All-Star Weekend, obviously Otani, which, you know, we never see that. It's like Babe Ruth and Otani. So to see him do everything, I think that needed to be on display and was important for the game since, you know, we all don't get to see Otani at the, those 10 p.m. games in L.A. Yeah, no, it, it's funny when you talk, you're talking so much Otani and you're hearing about Otani that you forget that he is not the best player on this team, technically, right? Right now, in this moment, Otani is. But Mike Trout, who has finished in the top five in MVP every year that he's played the game, you're not even talking about Mike Trout so much. Remember how it was like, well, how can we make Mike Trout a star? You know, he's so quiet. He's so reserved. They're not promoting him enough. They have promoted the SH. You know where I'm going with it. They have promoted it to the max with Otani. And they're trying to maximize out on this generational type talent where he's getting the at-bats as a pitcher slash hitter that make him relevant. You know, like we've seen pitchers have hit four or five home runs in a season, but they only get to hit once every five days. Normally it's a starting pitcher, right? This guy's getting to play every day as a DH when he's not pitching. Then you see him get on the mound and he's a hundred mile an hour with nasty wipeout stuff. He's had one bad start. That was the start against the Yankees. Other than that, man, he's been outstanding. It's good to see that, yes, they are still marketable, especially in Anaheim, and it's on the West Coast, and if games start late, I get that. But it was good for the game that, you know, he was able to display all the different things that he can do. Honestly, they got him for a steal when they signed him. I wish the Mets went in a little bit harder on that when you realize what, what you had. But I think it was experimental. You know, nobody knew. It's tough with no DH, though. I mean, what were you going right. to do? No, nobody, I mean, nobody knew. I mean, he was going to have to, you know, play a, a corner position, first base, something like that, something where, you know, he wasn't going to be too strenuous it was impressive to watch i think the all-star game it's it's tough because you want to do it you want to have these guys out there and it's tough to think about uh when there's nothing at stake it's tough to watch too as our our baseball ratings insider sarah mccrory has tells us it was the second least watch all-star game in history so if you had plans to go see the new Fast and Furious, if you had a sneak peek <laughs> for the new Space Jam, which, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing just just compare it to the first one. I know everyone's like, no, I'll stick with the original. Like, you got time in your life to see the second one. Stop acting like you're too busy to see a freaking movie. You're going to see it. I mean, if you don't if you have HBO, you can watch it on there. But I'll probably see that in theaters. But yeah, you were not watching that. But Pete is so cool. And I wish I went, man. My buddy Caroline was at a bar with him after the derby and he had the chain with the spinner on there and was drinking with him. And I'm like, oh, my God, I would have been drinking with Pete Alonzo if I went to Colorado. Nice. Instead, I'm sitting on my ass in Astoria eating cookie. Polar Pete and uh, the Donnie Stevenson mantra is taking over. And this Brett Azar guy, I never watched this video, but I'll play it now. Replied to my tweet. I said, inject Pete Alonzo's head bopping as he blasts homers to the moon straight into my veins. And here's what Brett Azar, which is the actor that plays Donnie Stevenson, said. Slugger's rake, Petey Bear. Slugger's rake. The polar bear went to Colorado and he was hungry. Those... He was ripping heaters. Those fastballs were looking like big juicy seals up in Alaska for the polar bear tonight. 
two-time home run derby champ. Sweet Sally Field, I love that trophy. Mom Spaghetti, that feels good. Pull up Barrett, I am proud of you. The Donnie Diesel way. See it, believe it, achieve it. Elevate and celebrate. Let's go. Yeah, so like the mantra is getting a little old, but... As you know, playing in, in a long season, you kind of need some storylines to get you through it. I mean, baseball is such a grind day in and day out. Sometimes you got to make up imaginary friends. Sometimes you got to make up handshakes and all these things throughout a baseball season. The churv thing the Mets do. You know, in a long year, you need these kind of things. And, uh, you know, Pete was the star of the show. But we're focused in on the second half of the season. The Mets start the second half with three against the Pirates in Pittsburgh. The seven-line army will be out there before they take on the Reds for three and then return home against the Blue Jays for three and then five with the Braves because it was a four-game series and a doubleheader and then finally the black jerseys for three. So that is three, eight, an 11-game homestand after these first six coming up against the NL Central. What are you looking for? I think we win the NL East. I think they're going to make a move. We'll talk about that closer to the trade deadline, but Figgy, I think they're going to get a starting pitcher, might get another bat like a Donaldson, and they're going to be all in. And maybe even that waiver deadline, they get someone in August as well. And who knows, maybe September they clinch the division and we do get to see Kumar Rocker in the final week of the year. But I do think these other teams will improve. We'll see better results from the Phillies, and they'll make moves. I think we do win the division sometime in that final week by three or four games. I'm I'm pretty confident that this team got what it takes to not have a second-half collapse here. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we've gone over it at nauseum how well the pitching has done all season long, carried this team. The defense has been a pleasant surprise. Um, it's been the lack of offense because if they were able to just score four runs, man, this team can have the pitching to shut it down on the other side of it. And, and it should be a much higher win total. I mean, they're first place. You can't get higher, but they should be a bigger space between them and the other teams, especially while the other teams are down. Braves lost to Cunha, which is a huge blow to them, but they're the Braves. They, they're going to continue to fight and, and claw their way back. And Freddie Freeman will have it no other way. So I'm not looking for them to... It'll be a big five-game series. They have to win three out of five to kind of give themselves some space. They have to take care of the lowly teams too, the Pirates. They, they can't be splitting with the Pirates. It's a three-game series, so they can't, but they have to win two out of three in Pittsburgh. I love the, everything positive for this team. So I look at you know a guy like Lindor. He's a second-half player in his career. He's a 294 average with an 852 OPS in his career. So he's a second-half player. We know couldn't get any worse in the first half. He started out extremely slow. But over his last 25 games, he's batting 277 with five home runs, 20 RBIs. If you go back before that, even or, or from June 1st on, I should say, from June 1st on, 262, seven home runs. In July so far, his OPS is over 1,000. So he's trending in the right direction. The All-Star game kind of fell at an unfortunate time for him. But you love to see his bat coming alive, and he's making much more solid contact. Conforto has to find some kind of semblance of his uh, his normal self. Uh, McNeil has woken up. Uh, Alonzo needs to stop chasing everything. And yes, uh, Donnie Diesel, uh, the fastballs in Colorado that were being thrown at 78 miles an hour were able to fly out early and often. But the ones that are being thrown 94-plus in the top of the strike zone are still blowing by, Pete. You think Dave Joust was throwing 78 miles? <laughs> from 30. They throw from 30 feet. So <laughs> Is it that fast, it, Well, from 30 feet, you're looking at from half the distance, if a guy's throwing 40 miles an hour, do the math. He deserves some credit, too, because it was his cousin last time, his pitches weren't as good. These pitches were great, and I don't think – I know it's not that hard to do, but to locate them perfectly in their sweet spot – 
take some skills. So shout out to Dave Jowls. Give him a, a piece of that million well, listen, dollar check. I, I still have issues with giving up solid contact. So when I do batting practice for kids and stuff like that, as soon as I get hit hard, all of a sudden it's like, all right, I'm going to two-seam this one or I'm going to cut this one. I'm going to maybe throw a change up, take a little off, put a little on. I, I still get that mentality of pitching. So I would have been terrible for the home run derby. Actually, I, I what I really – I wrote to Pete, wished him luck in the home run derby, and I said, if anybody knows how to give him up, it's me. So if you need a guy, I know a guy that can uh, serve up home runs to you. Here's Figgy trying to get a piece of a million-dollar check, and I guess I don't blame Selfless you. Selfless plug right there, right? <laughs> Certain members of the team are trending in the right direction. Other members of the team, the break is at the perfect time to kind of let them reset. You want to take this break, and even though it's not half a season exactly – you want to say, okay, this is going to be my best half. You know, I'm going to get better. Throw everything else out from the beginning, keep the silver lining stuff, and then move on. Miguel Castro has to be better. He was trending in the wrong direction um, in the month of July. Can someone take him? Can we trade him? Can, can someone take Miguel Castro? It's funny because on paper, it's not as bad, even though the ERA is skyrocketed, of course, but in, on paper, it's not as bad. When you're a relief pitcher and you don't get an out and two of your runs come in, yeah, you're ERA gets inflated astronomically, so it makes it look much worse. He has lost the feel for that changeup, and that changeup is what made him kind of uh, made you a believer in the first couple months. But he's really gone away from that changeup. Not sure why. Don't know if it's the sticky stuff or not. But when you look at his numbers, that they're not, they haven't deviated a lot when it comes to the strikeout to walk ratio, things of that. But it just seems like the more high leverage situations he's get, he gets brought into, it's getting magnified whenever he doesn't get the job done. Put him in low leverage situations. Yeah, I, I think I think now uh, Rojas has a better idea, understanding, a better feel. And so you hope that the organization had meetings during the break to talk about, OK, so this is where we stand. This is my best late inning guy. This is my best guy on with runners in scoring position. This is my best guy. And this so now they have a better understanding of what roles they can give these players, because I think pitchers like that. You like knowing what your role is. You like knowing you're going to be prepared for your role. So, hey, if there's a lefty coming up here, starters in the fifth inning and you're a lefty out there, be ready, you know, as the sixth inning starts, because you might have to face a guy with two guys on. So you don't want to have to get ready later. So that's something that they're pros. They should have this down already. But I do think even for the coaching staff, which, you know, I gave a high grade to for keeping this team in first place position with all the injuries, I gave the the coaching staff and the analytical staff, you know, even the front office, there was promotions done during the all-star break for several people in the uh, front office. Those are all good signs. That's good signs that there is some, for them, there's a little bit of relief in there because as interim GM and Scott, then you have the guys below him finally getting named assistant GM. And uh, I think it, it puts the whole organization at peace where now people aren't, you know, so pressed for, for their job, but they have to complete the mission. They can't, you know, sit back on a three and a half game lead and think they're, they're going to be just fine. Complete the mission. Back in black. The 2021 Mets fight for the 2021 NL East division title. They have no other route. So you're confident Mets are winning the division? Yep, I'm very confident. Starting rotation is going to be there and only get get better when Carrasco gets there. And if Syndergaard comes back, that's a huge move in August for them. A trade deadline acquisition, as, yeah, as they like I, to say. But I, I really still, because of next year, and I know you're not thinking about next year, but you get a guy who can help you now and be there for you next year, and it's a, it's a nice cushion to have knowing that you have uh, another starter to depend on for next year and i went to the brooklyn cyclones game with my guy constantine marula's wednesday he was singing the anthem and i missed carlos carrasco by a day he will pitch thursday night in rehab it's just too far to make another trip i mean coney island it is like going to guam it is like a two-hour train ride if i were to do that and it is just too hot outside to go two days in a row 
Um, this is in City Field, 15 minutes away. So I will not be seeing Carlos Carrasco. But looking forward to him being back probably end of the month. Maybe the Mets get another arm. And looking forward to a fun second half of the season. Marcus Stroman kicks it off Friday in Pittsburgh. And I'm sure we'll see Jacob deGrom this weekend as well. And J.D. Davis makes his return. So it'll be a fun weekend in Pittsburgh. And a fun second half ahead because Sarah McCrory is here with us. Has her nail polish, her Mets nail polish, has come in the mail from Amazon. Right, Sarah? And you're ready to come with me and Figgy to a game and wear the shirt, the hat, and the nail polish, mm. and we'll hit up our people. A hat. I never agreed to a hat. <laughs> no, the hat's got to be part of it because the shirt doesn't say Mets on it, so you need Mets attire. So you'll you'll throw on my hat, and we'll get a picture. You don't have to wear it the whole game. We'll find the scoreboard operator and uh, get you on. There. Indeed. All right, your your moment of fame, Sarah. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to be for the whole world at City Field? We got to go. Like the, we may have to do the July thirtieth, the Friday, the return of the black jerseys. And get Sarah on the scoreboard for one of the biggest crowds of the season to make sure 30,000-plus see you in Mets. Just don't show my dad, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, your dad will see it on SportsCenter. The next <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be uh, – we will make it happen and excited for that. But coming up next, we go to the Academy, a trip to the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy right here on Amazing But True. Bienvenidos, mis amigos. Soy Nelson Figueroa, aquí con, en la Academia del Español, practicando con Jake Brown. Excuse Jake, me? You heard what I said. That's the only thing you woke up at was Jake Brown. We're here at the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. Jake Brown, my one and only student today. Oh, well, we have Sarah, too. Sarah could give us a, no, give us a try. She may, she may chime in, but she's not the one that I'm grading. Uh, I'll be grading you. So for the all-star break, we hope the Mets hit the ground running in the second half, of course. The polar bear, the one and only Pete Alonzo. So polar bear is going to be the first word of the day. Oso polar. Oh, I like that one. Oso polar. Yeah, it's not Kevin Pilar or VR. It's oso polar. Oso polar. So that's very simple. We give you a nice, easy one. A plus. Wait, let's, Sarah, can you do oso pol- polar? Can you say it one more time? Can Not you use it in a sentence? Language of origin? <laughs> <laughs> and I of the spelling bee this week. Did you see that girl that won the spelling bee? She, she dribbled six basketball at once while spelling this long word. This girl is like superwoman. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Who it's watches a, the spelling bee? Like Jake. I didn't watch, but there was a, the girl you went get viral. Out more often. No, 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 Listen, listen, listen. I didn't watch the spelling bee, but this girl went viral. She was on Jimmy Kimmel. She was on all the shows. She like plays basketball. She's like a future Hall of Fame basketball player. She dribbles six balls at once while spelling words, long ass words that I've never heard of. Go look her up. Oso polar. Oso polar. Say simple. Yeah. Zyla Avangard. That's her name. Z. Z-A-I-L-A. That was the Spanish Academy word. Holy cow. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I think that's French. Avant-garde. That's a French term. All right, so the first one's easy. What do we got next? Well, we got to also give the home run derby. Shout out for, for that, right? So it's derby de horrones. Gave me the first fuck. one's easy. Sounds just like what it is in English. Derby. 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 It's a home run derby, not a derby. It's derby. Not a derby. 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 Derby de horrones. Derby de Jorones. <laughs> Jorones. So it's a J, but J's are H's in the sound in, in Spanish. So Derby de Jorones. Derby de Jorones. Close enough. It's a Sarah? passing grade. 
I can't roll my R's. Well, neither can I. Clearly, I'm Chewbacca out here. So, <laughs> Derby, Derby Day, 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 Derby de Jarones. Derby de Jarones. Not bad. Honrones. Honron. Like home run, but it's not an M, it's an N. Honrones. 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 And we look forward to the Mets doing, like I said, completing the mission and winning the second half so that they can lock up the NL East. La segunda mitad. Use that in a sentence? Segunda <laughs> mitad. Language of origin? <laughs> segunda mitad. Segunda mitad. What? Segunda. Like, segunda, segunda, segunda matada. <laughs> segunda matada. I knew it. that's exactly why I picked that. I knew he was going to go with matada. You sound like you're saying Zamunda matada. Wakanda forever. <laughs> Se, segunda mitad. Segunda mitad. Ends with a D. Mitad. Mitad? Yep. Mitad. Segunda mitad. There you go. Segunda mitad. No, she's good. Have you guys ever seen like that TikTok sounds like white people taco night? That should be just like the intro to this Spanish guy, white people taco night. It's like I might I'm gonna write to... it out. Yeah, I'm gonna write it out for Jake in Spanish and just let him read it. Yeah, Figgy, you're a big TikTok guy too, aren't you? Uh, you're always it's me addicting, TikToks. man. It's addicting. Apparently I need to sign up. Everyone's telling me to get you on. You start TikTok. out you start out looking at one thing and now you're you're you start getting into this they funnel it. The algorithm starts funneling to you and it's nonstop videos. And you'd think one is funnier than the next and you just keep scrolling and scrolling. During the pandemic, oh my gosh, it was a it's way a to disease. keep entertained. Yes, it's a way to keep entertained. But now it's like pick up your phone and the first thing you do is I don't even check messages. I go right to TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then you look up and it's been six hours. Oh, it's the worst. that's my problem. My phone's my screen time is already through the rough. I'm not trying to get it uh, even long. Segunda TikTok. There we go. <laughs> that ends this segment of the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. And speaking of Figgy will do five with Figgy and talk about his career coming up next on Amazing But True. All right, we're back here on Amazing But True for a little five with Figgy. First time we did all Taiwanese stuff. Secondly, we'll go to America here. And Figgy, do you associate yourself in your, you look back at your career and you look back most fondly as a Met considering you were a fan and, and you were here, or was it somewhere else where you you, you pitched better? You, you bounced around, so you were with a bunch of teams, but you had a couple other teams, the Brewers and the Phillies, you also played two years with. But it seems like you look at yourself when you look back at your career and say, I was a Met, first and foremost. Yeah, I do, I, I because it was a dream come true from the beginning. I got drafted as a Met, and then one of the biggest hurts in my life was getting traded very early in my career. So in 1998, I get traded, and I was kind of on – the fast track for back then was, you know, if you move up a level each year, you're on the fast track. You know, you don't want to repeat a level. And my second year repeating double A, I was doing really well, was leading the team in wins. Uh, I was kind of figuring out what I needed to do to be really good at that level and keep moving up. And then all of a sudden I got called in the office and they told me I was getting promoted to triple A. And I said, I don't want to go. I love my team. We're trying to make a playoff push. And we actually did make the playoffs. I've considered myself the number one starter on that team. And I wanted to help this team get to the playoffs. They go, well, then you're not going to like the second piece of news because it's with another organization. I said, who? And they said, the Diamondbacks. So you and Bernard Gilkey are getting traded over to the Diamondbacks. And they kept stressing that this is a really good thing for you because they're an expansion team and they need pitching. 
So they literally have asked for you in the trade. So that means they really want you. You're going to have every opportunity over there. And, uh, you know, we wish you all the best. But by that time, my throat had already closed up. My heart was pounding and I could hear it in my ears. And it was just like Charlie Brown's teacher going, womp, 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 womp. John Gibbons was the manager at the time in double A. And John Gibbons, I, he was my first manager in pro ball with the Mets as well. And so I, I was like, I don't want to go. I had tears welling up in my eyes. I get out of the office and everybody had heard that I was getting traded. We went out that night. Man, I, I was all of 145 pounds. We get to the bar and they say, hey, every time your name goes on the ticker on the bottom on ESPN for being traded, it was a deadline deal too. So every time my name came up, on the trade, I had to do a triple shot of Cuervo. Oh no! <laughs> with a Coors Light chaser, and oh, no. that 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 only lasted two of those. Uh, so that's a half hour. So every fifteen minutes, it goes on the ticker. So after a half hour of two triple shots, I'm like, guys, I'm good. They're all going to c celebrate me getting traded and and my career hopefully taking off. They're, they're getting cigars. I'm like, I don't smoke cigars. I'm just going to lay right here on this speaker, this nice big speaker and, and just take a nap. I was tired from, you know, a long day anyway. And now my emotions were all over the place. So it was a rough So now night. you're drunk, tired and, and traded night. on yeah. a speaker in a, at a hotel bar. Basically, or right near the hotel in Akron, Ohio. So now I had to go and take a flight back and I was on a puddle jump a small plane that was bouncing all over the place as it's heading over the mountains of New York. I'm like, oh, I feel terrible. This is going to be awful. I landed, got there. My dad was there already to help me pack, get everything together. My girlfriend at the time uh, became my wife, was there as well to welcome me. And they were like, you look terrible. I'm like, oh, I don't feel too good either. So, but wound up jumpstarting my career because of it. And I always consider myself a Met. I, I just didn't get an opportunity to do all the things I wanted to do. And that was the business side of the game. You don't have control over that stuff. Funny because when I got DFA'd so many times, I always said, I'm going to stay as long as I know I'm in the plans. Give me some insight. I was I felt like I was old enough to handle, hey, you might only get called up for one start but we're going to send you down right after the game. Give me the reality. Don't let me get up there and think, oh, well, if I have a good game, you're going to keep me. If I have a bad game, you're going to send me out. That was always kind of my career. If I didn't get it right, it was an audition. And if I did get it right, well, that was one game. Can you do it in two games in a row? Oh, you did it in two games in a row. Can you do it in three games? Oh, you didn't do it in the third game. We're going to send you out. So it was never really, uh, there wasn't a comfort level as compared with some of the other teams that I was with, with the Phillies and the Astros, where I got a little bit more leeway to have some failure. But I think the only way that you have success or appreciate success is you learn from failure. And with baseball, if you're given 35 starts, you find a way to right the wrongs of an early season, you know, if you give up a few runs here and there. So if I gave up a four or five runs in a game, shortly after that, I knew I was going down because my ERA would be inflated. And the teams were looking around for pitchers are like not looking for guys with five ERAs, but my five ERA is tied to, oh yeah, I only went two innings, gave up five runs, and now my ERA is inflated. So, but Mets all the way. I think I have a, another bad record with the Mets where I had the most losses in a month for a starting pitcher. <laughs> you got two but, records. <laughs> but, I had, but here's the funny part, right? I had a 3.2 ERA in those in those games that I lost. I had a 3.2 ERA. So I pitched more than well enough to win. We didn't score many runs. And I remember there was a re the reporter who uh, came up to me. We were playing against the Nationals. And I had just gotten done throwing a bullpen. I'm sitting in the clubhouse. And they came over and they go, how does it feel to tie a record for most losses in a month. And I was like, man, I don't even know how to answer this. Let me take a second here before I say the wrong thing. And David Wright overheard him and he jumped his ass and he's like, hey, dude, no, that's not cool. Yeah, he did it all by himself. He lost those games all by himself, right? He goes, get out of here. That's a stupid, that's a stupid question. And he ran the guy off and he the was like, captain. 
Yeah, well, that was the thing because he he realized it. It wasn't like I was going out. I was going out there and still throwing over 110 pitches a game and giving the team a chance to win, but we just didn't win the games. Nothing you could do about it. Figgy's LinkedIn bio. Most strikeouts ever in minor league <laughs> history. Most times DFA'd by, by the Mets. <laughs> in franchise history and most losses in a month in franchise history and co-host of the amazing but true podcast <laughs> uh, don't leave out my uh the, the very first complete game shout out of city field history oh uh, that's my uh my other claim to fame but yeah you 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 try and at least leave your mark in some way in our fashion whether it's good or bad you leave your mark hey your name is at the top of the list and that's what that's what counts uh and that wraps up this edition of five with figgy on amazing but true That'll say adios to yes, it's finally here. Episode 69, nice. the nice edition of Amazing But True. There was no Met worthy of, of taking number 69. I'll, I'll take it, the Jake Brown edition, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Sarah McCrory, for producing the show. Go into Apple Podcasts right now and give us some support by giving us a five-star rating for Amazing But True. And write in a nice, positive review. Gracias, mis amigos. For Nelson Figueroa and his overpriced Spanish Academy, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Monday after the Mets' three-game series with the Pirates in Pittsburgh. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the Permanti Brothers sandwiches. Enjoy your weekend. And thanks for listening 